Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From Hollywood, California, the horror capital of the world, the Boulet Brothers, Creatures of the Night. Hello, my beautiful little blood dolls. It's Swan Thule here to welcome you to another brilliant and blood-soaked episode of the Boulet Brothers' Creatures of the Night. Joining me, as always, is my sibling in sin, the daughter of darkness herself, Drakmorda. Drakmorda, darling, how are you tonight? I'm doing fabulous. <laughs> Just sipping this wonderful coffee you made us. A fresh brew. Sitting here with our books and computers, like smart little podcasters. <laughs> <laughs> you have your glasses I on. I know, one of the many fantasies. We're smart. We really are. We are smart, we're Sherry. Don't get it. it twisted. You know what? We're doing it. Cheers. Cheers to the girls' weekend. You almost spilled that on me. <laughs> All right, so I'm doing great, and I'm getting excited because we are officially leaving for tour in a few hours, the U.S. tour. Of course, we already did the U.K. tour, as you all already know, but it's time to start on the U.S. tour, which is much longer than the U.K. (sighs) tour. Double the power. It's 23 cities from coast to coast, and I have to say I am really excited about it, too. I think we've been gearing up for this for so long, and it's really a test of the brand and us and our met and metal and all of the competitors. I'm super excited. I know the fans are maybe even more excited than we are, and I cannot wait to hit the road. I'm so proud of all the competitors, and I know we said that on the last episode, but I want to say it again because they're all, without being prompted, changing up their shows and doing all this new stuff, and I'm so excited to see what Saint comes up with. Girl, she is doing it. I love it. It's so inspired. Yes, it is. So I can't wait to see all that. I'm excited. We're going to have a lot of guest stars, which hopefully by now have been announced, and if they haven't, I'm going to break the news right here. Yes, we have a bunch of guest stars from the Blade Brothers Dragula that are going to be joining us at different stops across the country. I don't have it all off the top of my head, but a few that I can think of are Violencia in Boston. Yeah, We have Yovska in Buffalo, I mm-hmm. believe. Priscilla is joining us 
So, but I don't remember which stop she's at. Well, don't give them everything because there's many more. I think we have like 15 guest performers through the course of the tour. Yeah, and we have Zavaleta and Madeline Hatter in New York. In LA, we have Bitch Pudding, our season two winner. We have Bitter Betty. We have Kendra, of course. The so legendary Kendra, <laughs> the legendary Onyx. Kendra <laughs> Onyx, darling. I can't wait to see Kendra. Oh, I know. It's so fun. Louisiana's joining us first up. This is really exciting. I can't wait for this one in particular. Pinche and Zochi from season one are joining us, which yes. I'm so excited about. Yes. James Majesty <laughs> is joining us in Seattle, I believe. It is going to be so fun to just be able to see... The extended family joined in various forms through this tour. It's going to be really good. And Coco and Astrid are going to be in Phoenix. And I bet Formaldehyde <laughs> will be there too, but I don't know. We'll see. Yes. <laughs> Formelda. Formelda. I don't want to mess with Formelda because Formelda doesn't want to perform and I don't want to make her perform. I'm like, yes, queen. Give us no shows. I'm here for it. <laughs> it's working. Just don't mess with her, okay? I love it. Posters, trap pictures, and masks, and you're good. I really do love it. She knows her brand. I think so, too. Okay, so what else do we have going on? Oh, we do want to apologize for anyone who will be unable to attend the Belay Brothers Dragula Season 4 U.S. tour because we're just, like, dangling this in front of you. But we do feel bad, but we're not leaving you without entertainment because right now we are also being featured on Shudder as one of the curators, and we put together a collection of movies that we sort of, like, love that are being featured on Shudder right now. So if you're unable to make the show... You can cozy up at home with a blanket and some snacks. You know, some watch what? some snacks. What's that? <laughs> Remember our girls from that podcast? They were like, let's get spooky. So grab your snacks. Oh, snacks. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> your snacks and blankies. And exactly. They like, oh, I live. The ghoul friends. Exactly. Let's talk a little bit about the movies that we did pick yes. that are highlighted on Shutter. So we have The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, which is sort of like. I would say a movie that inspired many movies after it, probably to this day, right? Oh, absolutely. We also have the quintessential Haunted House movie, which we've talked about many, many times on the podcast, The Old Dark House, going Mm -hmm. back to 1932, where you can actually see a drag king. I'll say the first drag king on film I've ever seen. So Mm -hmm. keep your eyes peeled. There's a lot of queer subtext throughout that film. It's very interesting. I'm sure there's a drag king that has been on film somehow in the first movie that was ever made and some stooge is going to come flying out of left field and cancel you, but whatever. Bring it on. (laughs) (laughs) That's the new mood for the new super future. No, don't bring it on. Don't at me for real. (laughs) Wow. What else? Night of the Living Dead? I mean amazing right for sure there's black christmas black sunday terror train prom night halloween four the taking of deborah logan which i think is like such a sleeper horror movie like so Mm -hmm. scary yes the autopsy of jane doe that's so good oh my god the last scene in the taking of deborah logan is what i'm gonna start doing to every winner at the end of their season (laughs) so before we crown the next one that's their fate so i'm like for one year you get a fabulous life and then i'm gonna eat you (laughs) we reabsorb your powers (laughs) yeah and then redistribute it i think that's fair i think that's fair. would you rather live a full life that sucks or one year that's fabulous. Mm. Think about it. It's a tough choice. Yeah. The autopsy of Jane Doe, too, like Sleeper Hit as well. So good. Yeah. I'm not going to tell you anything about it because if you haven't seen it, you should watch it. Yeah, absolutely. If you do watch any of these movies, make sure you tag Shudder and tell them about our excellent taste so that they should just keep us as the guest curators for eternity. And if you don't agree with our choices, well, then you always have the option of saying nothing and keeping your mouth shut forever. Exactly. That's perfectly aligned with our next subject. So if any of you are at home, because people always ask us when we're at a meet greet, they'll be like, why did you block me? I didn't do anything. 
That's a lie, okay? Because if you didn't do anything, you wouldn't, you be, wouldn't blocked. be blocked. And I live because we were at DragCon one year, and a fan came charging up to us. And it was cool because exciting. DragCon has tons of energy, and it was very that. It was, oh, I'm such a big fan, you guys blocked me. And there was it was for no good reason because and we're just kind of beelining it through the crowds because that's what you have to do at DragCon if you want to get from point A to point B. And at the, I didn't do anything, Drax stops <laughs> mid-stride, turns, and is like, that's a lie. Because if you didn't do anything, you wouldn't be blocked. <laughs> and cue the jaw drop, the flip turn, and then we were stomping through the auditorium. It was amazing. Those of you that don't know, I'm going to let you know now. The Blade Brothers Dragula Seasons 2 and 3 have joined the Blade Brothers Dragula Season 4 and Resurrection to nearly complete the library on Shutter, And they're available to stream in all English-speaking territories right now. It's so exciting, and I know so many fans were just wringing their thumbs and biting at the bit for this to happen, to be able to go back and see probably some of their favorite moments from the legendary seasons two and three and get one step closer to completing the entire library of Dragula. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, season two, there's things that I forget about the show that now I'm seeing new memes and different things pop mm -hmm. up, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that did happen in our <laughs> show. Yeah. Yeah, what are some of your favorite moments? Oh, I mean, season two, I think for so many people, it was sort of like a breakout season for us. It was where we went from something more like a pilot format, six right. episodes to a bonafide 10 episode series with some monsters from coast to coast. And it was really exciting. I mean, the standout moment for me is still Wasteland Weekend, the Thunderdome. Oh, yeah, I mean, that was fun. It yeah. was just electricity in the air. And the way that those crazy kids that were out there in the desert doing battle and shooting guns and all that stuff when the drag came out and they started whipping each other's asses they said these are some of the nastiest fights we've seen all day and i was like yes yeah it was yes. fabulous and you know also the photos that our director nathan noise took of them from wasteland oh, yeah. weekend are still so iconic to me i'm gonna do a re-release of those pictures that's actually. a good idea they were fabulous no they were really good yeah so and everyone's excited bitch made a video kind of promoting the release which i thought was mm -hmm. really cool no, i appreciated cool. that yeah. yeah disasterina in the cabin in the woods is also like a standout moment for me Absolutely. which is like getting her pussy murdered you don't get to see <laughs> that kind of tv gold very often but no, we saw it in season and two i just realized how we just would lean into things with no holds barred like the sci-fi episode, the Star Wars scrolling text, <laughs> totally. and then giving birth. I was like, wow, we would never do that today. <laughs> maybe, maybe we, we maybe will. Maybe we will. Exactly. <laughs> I love it. It's so good. And for those of you that know, you know. And for those of you that don't, there's a lot of binging that you have ahead of you on Shudder right now. Yeah. And season one, which we've talked about before, is getting remastered currently and will be released as well on Shudder. And that'll be a sort of new iteration, which I think is looking really good. I'm very happy with it. We've said before that season one is like a pilot season and that's not to degrade it. That's not the intention of it. That's realistically what it was. Yeah. It was like proof of concept because... We've said this many times when we imagine trying to pitch this show, it was like, ooh, how do you get someone who's just straight laced and like doesn't know anything about anything to understand it's monsters and filth and horror and drag and it's fear and all that stuff. It would have been a hard sell. So we just decided to create it. Yeah, it was too weird. It was too weird. But I just think we were so determined. We were like, I don't care. I know it's going to work. And here it is. Exactly. It's cringy for me to watch, I'll <laughs> say. It really is. I mean, I love it, but it's hard to watch. I think anyone who looks back at themselves, even like five years in their craft, whatever it might be, and they're like, ooh, I, I could have done that different. And I think that's all it is. These are our roots, honey. Oh, yeah. As twisted and ugly as they might be, I am so proud of what they are and where they brought us. Yeah, I agree. Speaking of twisted, ugly, and roots, 
I think it's time we bring in our assistant and our Sith apprentice, Ian, to the podcast. Ian, darling, welcome to the show. Excited to see Ian. Not excited to see Ian's pads. <laughs> Hi, how's it going? <laughs> oh, what, is that your favorite season two quote? Oh my God. When you were talking about the new memes that are coming out, I was also reminded, and I saw a picture of Dolly in their season two confessional look. And that was the quote. Excited to see Monique, not excited to see Monique's pads. And to this day, Durla, an underrated moment from the show. Totally. Bitch at one point too. Bitch is like, oh, you don't accept me as like a monster queen or something. And she was like, okay. (laughs) She's so drunk. Damn, there's another moment too on that Ghost of the West challenge Mm -hmm. when she's like, now she's your new best friend. Yeah, Yeah, totally. Uh, I love when when for no reason Monique and James decide to be teammates on episode two. I live. They're like, we're going to go in there and get bitch. And no matter what she said, they were like gonna come for her oh totally yeah one of my favorite moments of season two is kendra cobbling the shoe episode one episode one i need to know the real tea abora damn (laughs) put some titties on bitch put some titties on bitch (laughs) kendra just was always coming out with the one liner if you want to roll around in some grass it's a lot of grass (laughs) i mean kendra onyx is an icon, yeah. truly an iconic character in television history. I agree. I agree. Let's not forget Vicky's comeback. Why you got your outfit in the Halloween section at Walgreens. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Well, I thought it was crazy. So then after the season, Victoria goes home. She puts Kendra's quote on her story. <laughs> then she shows herself casting titties. Oh my God. Slamming yes, them around, yes. putting them on. And I was like, Oh, my God. I mean, truly, though, like the genesis of what I truly believe is like the Victoria Black tit plate. Like, mama, those is jugs. Oh, my God. I was like, Victoria. (laughs) Oh, my God. I live. I'm like, mama, these are up to your neck. Like, literally up to your throat. Well, we got some made from her, too, which we wore one time on season three. And I was like. You're insane. I live. Oh, my God. For eagle-eyed viewers, go look through season three and see if you can spot where it is. Because I remember when y'all showed up to set that day, I was like, Mama, the boulets are juggy like, today. This is not correct. <laughs> Tonight, we're going for the jugular. <laughs> Anyways, there's so many good moments. And who knows? What will happen on tour? We've booked some of them at the scene. Like, I'm like, I forgot about it. I didn't even think mm-hmm. about this. Madeline and Zava. I'm oh, like, yeah. mm. I didn't think about that when we booked them. Well, who them. knows? Things change in Dragula world. It can go one way or the other, and no one knows. Yeah, because sometimes I think mm-hmm. they're, like, friends, and then sometimes I'm like, what's going on here? <laughs> to quote Coco, maybe that's a New York thing. Like, one minute they fight, and one minute <laughs> yeah. they hug, and one minute they stab in each other. You right. never yeah. know. New York oh, is no, weird totally. like that. Yeah. Well, I can't wait to see it either way. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Ian, why don't we use this moment to segue into some news updates that you might be bringing to us on this episode. For all passengers aboard this dark-sided, slanesh, sissy spacecraft, it is my pleasure to inform you that we have set a course for the depths of the horror universe, and while many of you may most definitely perish on this hellish journey into the unknown, those of you that survive will experience eldritch nightmares and announcements from the orbiting planets of Hollywood and horror, the likes of which you cannot comprehend. Up first on the darkened event horizon, our ship's radar has detected two announcements to tap on the black mirror glass of our screens in the days to come. Deadline leads our list of announcements tonight with the news that actress Zoe Bell, most famously known for her leading role in Robert Rodriguez's Death Proof and as Uma Thurman's stunt double in the Kill Bill films, will be bringing her quarantined YouTube project to life as the feature-length action comedy film released by Lionsgate. 
The original YouTube short, titled Boss Bitch Fight Challenge, featured a huge list of deadly female badasses, including Lucy Lawless, Juliette Lewis, Margot Robbie, and the incomparable Daryl Hannah, to name a few, fighting each other in a series of self-filmed videos edited together in the style of other similar quarantine, past-the-brush makeup challenges that were popular at the time. Not to be upstaged, Variety led the shambling charge this week with a confirmed release date for a project synonymous with spooky season. Yes, my ghoulish goons, the official Spirit Halloween movie will be haunting abandoned grindhouse theaters this year. Described as a family adventure horror movie, the film will reportedly follow a group of middle school friends who have dared each other to survive the night in a new Spirit Halloween store that has mysteriously appeared in a deserted strip mall overnight, only to find it filled with vengeful spirits and deadly animatronics. Interested listeners can check out this ghoulish case of art imitating life, October 2022. What do we do if we're not interested? Yeah. Oh, then you do not tune in October 2022. Okay. Yeah. I was kind mm-hmm. of interested at first. I was like, this is a neat concept. But then when I found out, it was like a family friendly. Mm-hmm. I was like, totally. uh, Exactly. No. I was like, oh, this is cute. Family. Uh, like, no. next. I know. was in a mall. I'm like, eh, how scary could a little like 20 by 20 story? <laughs> I don't know. I want to be on board, but. I'm not ready for going back to the Goonies or going back to Ghostbusters Afterlife. I'm done with kids' movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Me too. Same. Same. At this point, I'm also filled with vengeful spirits and weird animatronics. <laughs> and they have no room for kids. <laughs> Our masks could have been in a Halloween store. And we could have came out and killed the kids. See, there you go. It's not too late. I mean, Mama, there's still time to, you know, shoot this, film it, get it in there. <laughs> For a quick detour headed for a crash landing where video games and horror collide, the 18th annual BAFTA Game Awards celebrated achievements in gaming earlier this week, with horror video games dominating the 2021 landscape. Among the nominees for various categories across the awards ceremony were genre titles such as the frenetic zombie co-op shooter Back 4 Blood, time-bending psychological thriller Deathloop, and of course, please vampire mommy step on me simulator Resident Evil Village, to name a few. The shining dark star of the evening, however, was undoubtedly the coveted Game of the Year Award, which went to developer Housemark's sci-fi horror bullet hell shooter, Returnal. Being a nerd who loves video games and lives in the horror world, this has never felt better. So which game are you most excited to try out? Okay, truly, I have been wanting to play Returnal since the PS5 game. Really? Mama, this has been on my radar for at least a year and a half. Okay. But I think that fans of the podcast will definitely want me to say Resident Evil Village so we can have a Dragon Swan mod for (laughs) that character. (laughs) Totally. If that's not enough, the name Returnal now goes on the long list of (laughs) options for a Dragula (gasps) All-Stars name. Ooh! Diving deeper into the abyssal black hole of the horror universe, one of the most iconic props in horror film history has just been set for auction, with a screen-used fire axe wielded by Jack Nicholson in The Shining, netting a starting bid of $55,000. As with most film props meant to be used on screen, there were several axes made for the film, with as many as a dozen fabricated and documented by behind-the-scenes photography of the Stanley Kubrick classic. This specific axe carries the distinction of being one of a few actually used on camera, with another axe prop recently fetching $209,000 at auction. Avid or rabid horror film fans with money to burn can bid on the axe now for their chance to at least have the most accurate Jack Torrance costume at the next Boulay Brothers Halloween ball. Interesting. I'm going to sell some of our props. Yeah. Oh, my God. Put them in the museum. Yeah, I'm like, 
Patrick, go unload all this stuff <laughs> and put it on eBay. No, but there's actually a lot of neat items from the show that just sort of live in the office. I feel like maybe it'd be better appreciated by the fans. Yeah, I don't know that I would sell them. Like, I've actually kind of secretly squirreled them away in Swanthula's own version of the Dragula uh, Museum. Yeah, I have, like, the nameplate from the Boulay Brothers Productions door oh. on the opener of season two. Mm-hmm. Erica's voodoo doll from her death scene. A couple of medical instruments that we did for the opener when we were doing the Hospital of Horrors from season three. Nice. Wait, I have Madeline's decapitated <gasps> head. From yes! Her and Landon's spider compact is around somewhere, oh, too. Oh, yeah. yeah. We yeah. have that. Yeah. I have, like, two of Saints Moths from Resurrection as oh, well. Oh, cool. Yeah. And I think Vander still has the prize from the Dungeons & Drag Queens challenge. Like, I forget what it was. It was, like, a vial of, like, oh, the oh, dragon's yeah, blood. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The yeah, demon's yeah, yeah. blood. The demon's blood. So, Vander, if you're listening, I'm coming for that ass. <laughs> <laughs> That concludes our journey through the cosmic horror hellscape of current events for tonight. As always, I have been your captain, Miss Ian DeVogler, and if you need me, I'll be in my cryosleep pod watching the black and white version of Guillermo del Toro's Nightmare Alley, now available on Hulu. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we return, we're going to be digging into this episode's creature feature movie review. Stay tuned. Attention, misfits, mutants, and outcasts. The Boulay Brothers want you to join the cult now by visiting BouletBrothersDragula.com, where everything from the world of the Boulay Brothers can be found. Be sure to sign up for the newsletter for insider updates, learn more about upcoming projects, and access tons of Boulay Brothers and Boulay Brothers Dragula exclusive merchandise. Visit us now at BouletBrothersDragula.com. Do it or die. Welcome back, uglies, and welcome to this episode's Creature Feature Movie Review. As I've said many, many times, I am a bit of a vampirophile, and I'm also feeling a bit nostalgic, so I've decided to flip my magic hourglass in reverse and go back to 1987 and review Joel Schumacher's vampire classic, The Lost Boys. So let me just preface this with, you're welcome. And for those of you who have been living in a seaside sunken cave for the last 30 years, The Lost Boys is the tale of two brothers who, after moving to a new town, discover it's a haven for vampires. So, ladies, let's start with first impressions on a rewatch. Because I think for many of you, listeners and you guys as well, it's been a while. Oh, yeah. For me, it has definitely been at least a decade. I did not remember the big plot twist of the movie at all. I didn't remember how characters lived, died, flew, and ate maggots. I did remember the eating maggots. But this was basically a brand new watch for me. And? Oh, and I fucking loved it. It was great. That's the part I was waiting for. (laughs) Yeah. I know we're going to sink our fangs into this one, but I will say I watched it in two parts, which was kind of a strange experience because I started watching it last night and I was like, oh, mama, I'm so tired, but I'll watch the second half tomorrow. And I feel like the second half of The Lost Boys goes the fuck off. The first half (laughs) is a lot of setup. You know, we're kind of like, oh, it's the murder capital of the world. Cute, cute, cute. Kiefer Sutherland looking Snacky. But yeah, there's not a whole lot. 
there's not a whole lot of like vampire in going around until the second half, which is like sure. the fantasy. It's weird because I also kind of love the first half. And I think in many ways, some people think of the second half, it goes the fuck off the rails. Like it builds like a mythology that could potentially even run deep and continue. Mm-hmm. And you're you maybe mm-hmm. not sure where the story is going to go, but it kind of goes the route of very Hollywood where oh, yeah. it has to be mass extinction with grandpa. Like, coming in with a weird horn, <laughs> it goes straight to Hollywood hell. Oh, yeah. But, you know, it's all awesome. Yeah. I mean, it was fun. It was a fun rewatch. It's been a while. I mean, I remember that movie being so influential to goth alternative people back in the day. So oh, many people totally. live and love for this movie. And, yeah, it was a really fun rewatch. Like, at first I was like, you know, the Corey Haim of it all. I'm like, oh, I can't do this. Like, this Gremlins 80s gobbledygook bullshit again. Like, I'm, like, I'm not, you know what I mean? There's a certain, This yeah. has it in spades across the board. Yeah, the like all the usual suspects uh-huh. who are present. And, I'm, you know, Bill and Ted's excellent vampire shows. Oh, my up, God, like, totally. No, I'm not. But then I'm like, you know what? No, You're no, like, no. yes, yes, you yeah, are, I'm like, yes, I'm into it. I'm cool with it. I will say, much to Ian's chagrin, I find all of the vampires extremely unattractive. So that part of it, I forgot. And I was like, What's going on? I thought these were like hot vampires. Like I remember them being like attractive or people being like, ooh, these vampires are hot and sexy. I'm like, not I mean, really. Uh, well, well, first of all, one, you would never disappoint me, Drac. Like <laughs> not, not in that way or in any other way. Like I could never be disappointed with your taste in Kiefer Sutherland or even in The Thing. You have Kurt Russell's incredible wig too. It may be that I grew up in the South where people still maintain <laughs> that look for a long time well after its expiration date. So I'm like, I hate you all. Oh, girl, I'm like, okay, Kiefer Sutherland as David. I'm like, that hair is back, mama. Like, there <laughs> oh, are yeah. so many, I mean, like, DTLA hoes who have that haircut. Maybe with the exception of Bill and Ted's Excellent Vampire, I think the whole <laughs> pack of boys are... Really? I live. Oh. I was like, ooh, it's so... Filth horror, glamour, and drag with these wigs. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> okay, the dark hair, the jawline the jo- one. I forget the jawline name. one. Yeah, he's cute. The oh, dark haired one is hot, but then the long blonde hair on the case, especially after he okay. bounces out. Oh yes. I got to be real with you. The long blonde haired one, I completely forget is in the movie until her <laughs> iconic death scene via holy water bathtub. Yes. I was like, that shit is awesome. No, it's so good. This movie gives us like a little serving of all the things that. 80s movies serves. First of all, it has the soundtrack right from the get. Like, as soon as you start hear that, oh, thou shalt absolutely. Not it's yeah. So good. It takes you right there. <laughs> yes. I was so gagged when that theme started playing because, I, like I said, it's been so long since I've watched this movie that I was like, wow, this sets a mood so instantly. And mm-hmm. then I was reading later that the composer of that song had not seen a single frame of footage before he wrote it. Well, oh my okay, God, the, really? a funny thing that's similar to that, the sax guy, his name is Tim Capello. Oh, go in, mama. Oh, I have to. Because <laughs> here's why. We were at a horror convention in the last year or two, and he's there signing what? autographs, and a bunch of people want to meet him. Like, his career kind of blew up, like, 30 oh years later. Oh, my God. So and you might ask re- yourself why, and it's because he is a greased-up muscle queen with a chain collar and a fucking saxophone. Oh, that okay, saxophone yeah, guy. That guy. Yes, okay, ma'am. so he's, oh like, iconic. God. But part of what he said was that he was like, I played with Tina Turner for, like, 10 years. <gasps> I was on tour with her. We were super close. We talked every day. Oh, my God. Nobody cares about that. He's <laughs> like, I did this movie one night out of nowhere. I watched it once and forgot about it. And he's like, 30 years later, that's all anybody can talk about with me. They don't oh. care about any of the other stuff. And he's like, you know, it's odd because I spent all this time being a musician. No one knew me for that. Mm-hmm. This movie that I didn't care about that I did for an hour one night 
has given me the life that I wanted from the music, which wow. I think is interesting. That's it's crazy. Cool. Oh, yeah. yeah. It might not be the life he wanted, but it's definitely the one he deserved. Oh, definitely. <laughs> I'm going to piggyback off that trivia tidbit with another one. I was reading that they cast 2,000 extras for all of those pier slash boardwalk scenes, and they filmed it in one night. Wow. Yeah. Well, so, that's what he was saying. He was mm-hmm. saying that it was very oh, random. Oh, all just one. Track and I both were watching. We were like, this B-roll is very random, but it all added up to yeah. creating that seaside carnival, almost dangerous street culture, 80s, like Especially with the Southern song California. Too, like, it was so good. Yeah, I was picturing you and Nathan watching the movie, and I was like, I bet Nathan is saying to Ian right now, this is what Drac always wants. This oh, is yeah. what Drac's always asking us to get B-roll, B-roll, <laughs> yeah. B-roll. This is why, so that she can build this narrative. We oh, literally yeah. talked about the B-roll from that sequence. Like, I paused. So did we. Yeah. <laughs> We pause. I was like, Mama, this is B-roll personified. Like, yeah. right here. Establish the scene. Establish the scene. <laughs> totally. Wide close-ups. <laughs> Speaking of that B-roll, it iconic for a lot of reasons, but one of the things I personally really loved was the combination of the footage that they get and also the song that plays yeah. The Doors. Yeah, it's very, very Cover. moody. I feel like that directly influences the title theme of True Blood, which we get much, much later. You know, has kind of like that gothic southern feeling and mm-hmm. almost kind of like the degenerates of that area. I love it. I yeah, think it's great. It's good. Attacking trailer culture again, I see. <laughs> <laughs> Don't at me. <laughs> And, you know, it all adds up to so much fun, Mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. I mean, with the theme song, all the crazy B-roll, these characters, the hair, it's very much signature of the times. Yes. And, you know, the 80s kind of delivered a very specific type of, like, horror comedy that we don't often see. Mm -hmm. We don't often see done successfully, right? But Mm -hmm. we kind of get that across the board. I mean, here's a question, though. Is it ever scary? Yes. I think maybe not today. It wouldn't register as scary. But certainly back in the day when they transformed, I remember that being... Oh, girl, even today, that like the beach bonfire kill sequence where you see them with their prosthetics on for the first yeah. time, iconic. Okay, so that moment, I knew it was coming. I've seen this movie many times and I knew it was coming. I actually did a rewatch during <laughs> pandemic too. It's like, oh, they're going to vamp out. And I'm like, this is my favorite scene. And it's not when they vamp, it's when they attack. And the flight effect is so cool, yeah. even though you don't really see them flying actually until the close to the end but the way that the camera works is yeah it's really cool shot, yeah. it's very effective because it could come across as like oh girl they can't afford the effects so they're just doing the pov with the camera but it's not you kind of enjoy it but it's when david bites right into that guy's head oh, and, the, yeah. and you get the blood spurt i'm like oh i love it so much it's like my favorite scene we're not discussing one of the most important parts though which is in Corey Hames' character's room there's oh, a poster yeah. of rob, rob Lowe. <laughs> Just wanted to point yeah. that out. Well, let's talk about the homoeroticism because, oh, Mama, please. it's there for sure. This movie, gay as hell, girl. <laughs> and I live for it. I think 80s vampires were always heavily suggested to be queer, mm-hmm. but they never would say it. Back then, it just it wasn't going to happen. They weren't going to register that. They weren't going to admit that. But they always liked to tease around it. Same thing with Interview with the Vampire. Sure. Oh, they yeah. never came out and said it. Yeah. But it was so heavily implied. I think there's something about vampires and sharing blood that isn't just inherently lend itself to just queerness among men, too, because we can go back to the 70s vampire or lesbian movies, oh, of yeah. which there are many. 
you know, it's just sort of an easy underlying subtext for queerness. There was also in the 80s with the re-interest in vampires and HIV and drinking yeah. blood oh, and yeah. that sort of thing. And so that also became part of the conversation of queer culture and vampires. No, for sure. I mean, I think you can go even further back. I feel like vampires and the myth of Dracula have always sort of had a queerness to them or even like the visual representations when you think of kind of like Nosferatu. Like he's very frail and thin and his fingers kind of do that the dolly ghouling out kind yeah. of thing. Mm-hmm. There's a sense of otherness and you know it's fear this sort of frail creature that could at any moment snap and kill you because there's an inherent sensuality right and it doesn't have to do with sexuality so a man would get very close and touch another man with his lips and it's not for a sexual thing but the obvious is conjured you know it's usually not sexual for me so a guy in eyeliner sucking the life force out of another guy probably has no sexual connotations (laughs) to it at all you're right not not a single one i don't see it not at all (laughs) i don't (laughs) but there is a scene when michael goes upstairs and is about to attack his little brother who's like in the bathtub bathtub, which is very homoerotic did they ever address the dog attacking him I don't think they ever really go into like, oh, dogs can naturally sense vampires. But I thought it was kind of a like, oh, he senses that Michael has become a predator. I meant like, and leave it to the 80s. The dog can go flying through the air, <laughs> tackle the guy out the other side of the bathroom door and the door shuts. That's like such mm-hmm. an 80s thing to happen. This segues very well to like how their vampires are represented because oh, a yeah. lot oh, of different oh, vampires oh. have lots of different <laughs> power arrays, right? So what rules of vampires do they in the Lost Boys actually adhere to? And because they bend some rules too, yeah. right? Obviously the stake through the heart is the kill move. Wait, I just noticed something because we're getting really serious and talking about kind of smart things about vampires and I see you both have your glasses on today mm-hmm. oh my God. and I don't have glasses on. So Maybe is, you should is grab this your... some, a thing? Do Why don't you, you grab, grab your yours? glasses? No, I'm not. If I do, I, can't, I will not be able to see anything. <laughs> I thought you were being you serious. You're all feeling smart today. I if can you tell. Want, I mean, you, I, you have coffees. You have glasses. I get it. Listen, Drac, I don't want you to get freaked out. To make you feel better, I'll make a Kiefer Sutherland sex joke. Like, I got a bunch written down, <laughs> You mama. already did. Oh, I got more, mama. <laughs> Sorry to drag you for your glasses. We have steak through the heart, right? And that's probably, obviously, the most common one. We have mm-hmm. burst into flames and sunlight. Yep. When we David goes once. to grab Sam, we do see that. We see an aversion to holy water, which is a kill factor in this one. Oh, yeah. So that's kind of crazy. No reflection. Or no, the head vampire did have a reflection. Because oh. when you invite a vampire into your home, you are mm-hmm. rendered powerless, as informed by the Frog Brothers. Yes. That plot element is one of my favorite things about The Lost Boys, because I think that And I'm sure we'll dig more into it, but the power levels of the vampires is a little bit questionable sometimes, but they do a really cool bending of those rules. Like, oh, when you invite a vampire into your house, you become powerless. So suddenly garlic has no effect at the dinner scene or there is a reflection. But we do get almost the building of that reflection aspect when Michael is looking at himself in the mirror and he's sort of transparent, almost kind of ghostly, which I've never seen. We get introduced to this idea of a half vampire. Like he's uh, consumed some of one of the vampire's blood, but he doesn't have like a successful kill under his belt. So at that point, he'll like cross the threshold of humanity into evil. Mm -hmm. Which is kind of like, why was Star there? I wonder how long was she there? It seemed like she was there for a minute before she got turned. So I was like, what was that about? Well, then Laddie fully transforms at the end, but doesn't fully do a kill so i don't maybe those rules are a little bit well so in the written. 80s they always lost the point of the they movie by the end. they're <laughs> like we have been uh, oh we yeah. have been up for too long we've been on set for too long just film something they're like and just, we'll make it- just send grandpa through the wall <laughs> and- if someone busts through a wall we're good we can wrap this shoot <laughs> <Totally>. today <laughs> 
you know, it's funny because I did a bunch of reading about the film. And one of the things I came across was that in the original script, the Lost Boys were around the ages of like 13 and 14. And Star was supposed to be much younger and was actually a boy. And so there wasn't really this romantic aspect, which mm. I think, you know, is so 80s. Like, oh, hi, we got to throw a heterosexual romance plot into this or totally. no one's going to watch yeah. it. Mm -hmm. But in raising the ages of everyone, it creates sort of weird questions of like, Star goes, oh, I just, I care about you so much. I'm like, girl, you don't know him. Like, you just met. Y'all ain't even had sex. And then you have sex in front of Laddie, you weirdo. <laughs> mm -hmm. so child services needs to come and take Laddie away. Wow. Oh, oh, and our second movie in a row with a missing person on a milk carton. That's right. Yep. The theme. Mm -hmm. You know the actress that played Star, her great-grandfather is Bella Lugosi. No. What? Wait. <laughs> Shut the! Oh my god, I hate damn, you! <laughs> but that wow. does Jason Patrick, who plays Michael, his grandfather actually is Jackie Gleason, which is a little I bit of know. Hollywood history okay, there. Yeah. Which, by the way, if you want to watch the funniest thing on earth at any time, it is The Honeymooners, starring Jackie Gleason. <laughs> Get ready for the creature featured movie. Jack really do love it. There is one episode that I. I just can't watch this too funny and I'll share it with you later. <laughs> I want to see it another time, but I do want to touch on this idea of garlic because I don't think that they actually adhere to that. Cause right before the blonde is like pushed into the yeah. tub of mm -hmm. holy water, he looks in cause they filled it with garlic and he's like, ha garlic doesn't work. And that's when he's like, try holy water. And yeah. it does. And I think that's also one of the reasons why Max was able to just eat that whole spoon of garlic, not just because he was invited mm -hmm. into the house, but because it doesn't work in lost boys world. Mm. Yeah. One thing that I would consider to be a little bit of a flaw in my mind, but hey, no movie's perfect, unless you're X, apparently, is the power level of the vampires, I feel like, is a little weak. There are some successful kills when they are ripping the hoods off of cars mm -hmm. and doing kind of crazy stuff, but then they all sort of get destroyed in almost kind of like Home Alone-esque, like oh. 80s Nightmare on Elm Street sort of like, totally. oh, yeah, yeah that, gotcha, It's the booby girl. trap house. Yeah, totally, like, totally. Exactly. I kind of live for it. I mean, the one thing that I will say, and this is what I told Nathan when we were watching, I was like, the thing to remember is this totally informs so much of how we view like 80s and 90s vampires, the styling of them, and even the sexy vampire. Mm. But I feel like even with the vampire Lestat, he is a sexy character, question mark, but he's not like a hot David Lothario mama. <laughs> well, in the book, in the he leather. was very... The, very sexy. Yeah, the and, sexuality yeah. is laid on very thick by Miss Rice. All of them. Oh, she yeah, loved all it. of yeah. the vampires. Yeah, but again, like like we were talking about earlier, never overtly said, right? Yeah. It's been years since I read those books, but you do see relationships that maybe transcend just master and thrall or whatever oh, in Rice's world. I just for remember sure. reading it when I was younger and being like, okay, gay vampires, perfect. This is made for me. And I'm like, where is the gay stuff? I'm like, this is as gay as it gets. You're just hanging out. I'm like, no. I'm I, th I think that was definitely, like, I haven't read the books, but I've seen the films. And I think that was my first experience with kind of like, it's gay. I'm going to do big air quotes, subtext. Because I remember being a kid and watching the scene where Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt meet Antonio Banderas for the first time. And I was like, mama, that is gay tension, drama, a thruple. The movies have absolutely nothing to do with the book. <laughs> I remember when they were filming those movies and all like kind of like people that were really into like gothic subculture or vampires and stuff hated it. They hate it. Like when Tom Cruise was cast, they were like, you're casting a jock 
uh, like a fighter pilot guy to be our icon. Oh yeah. my Fuck god! Fuck you! They were so mad. I'm so not shocked by that, and I kind of live. I'm like, ooh, salty gothic tears. Because they were like ooh. normal, normal kind of like you know your stereotypical masculine. Guys, they were pissed. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was a fan of both. I think it was an exciting casting because it made it an interesting. But the one that I was personally pissed about was Antonio Banderas as Armand because Armand was actually my favorite character oh. from the books. And he's just depicted as younger with curly hair and more Mediterranean, mm. almost like a muse coming from hundreds of years ago who had a very, I think, padded out and established and explored kind of homoerotic relationship with his master. His name was like Marius, I think. I was just like, ooh, I can't wait to see Armand. Like, that's my shit. I'm so excited. Yeah, and yeah. I was like, Antonio, but what? <laughs> okay, but oh, Miss Rice, you have fucked it all up. Kristen Dunst as Claudia was also equally terrible, in my opinion, because I had the comic books of the interview with the vampire, and they were painted and they were beautiful. If you could oh, ever God. get your hands on them, I've I mean, seen it must them. have took them a yeah. million years. I had the big, I bought some of the original stills. Yeah. Yeah. But the character of Claudia was like so childlike and she looked like a dog. A little doll child. Hair. Yeah. In fact, it's sort of the exact inspiration for the Jar of Heart show that we do. Oh. That's exactly what she looks like in the paintings. Oh, okay. Speaking of the Jar of Hearts show and the outfit from that, one just kind of quick reference that I live for is that the mom's name is Lucy. Yeah. Which is a direct reference, obviously, to, you know, Bram Stoker's yeah. Dracula, Lucy. I was like, oh, so fabulous. And also there's a scene when Sam's in the house and Michael is kind of getting his like flying power sort of manifesting oh, yeah. and he comes in through the window. It's almost an exact reflection of Salem's Lot when mm. the vampire comes to the window for the first time. It's like a really striking scene. So mm -hmm. when I saw it, I'm like, oh, it's just like watching Salem's Lot again. So overall, it's super 80s, but it's great. We love it. Obviously, probably most people at home have watched it, but I would recommend watching it again if you haven't watched it in a minute because it was very entertaining. No, it's so good. It's like, oh, you're a vampire, Michael. Wait, my own brother. Wait till I tell mom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so good. Well, that's it for this episode's Creature Feature Movie Review. We are going to be reaching into our bag of listener mail to answer some of your burning questions. But before we do, it's time for a quick break. Calling all misfits, mutants, and outcasts. The Boulet Brothers' Dragula Season 4 U.S. Tour will be terrorizing a city near you this spring. Featuring the Boulet Brothers and the top four monsters of Season 4. Tickets and VIP upgrades are available and going fast. So if you'd like the chance to experience the Dragula show live, get your tickets now at DragulaLive.com before they're all gone. <laughs> Welcome back, darlings. It's time to grab your snacks and get cozy because it's time to dig into our mailbox and answer all of your listener questions. Ian, will you do the honors? Todd from L.A. asks, We just finished watching WandaVision. Since I can always count on Drac Morta to share their opinions on pretty much everything, I am really curious what she thought of the interpretation of Agatha Harkness, specifically the change in her age. I felt that an older Gladys Kravitz-type character might have served the story better than the sassy young Sobrette. Yeah, I was surprised about that because Agatha Harkness is traditionally very, very, very old. That's her thing. That's her look. She's like the quintessential 
Granny hag. Granny hag. No, not really a hag. No, she's, oh, no. she's like an uppity British kind of yeah. granny with like a shawl <laughs> and a little pendant, right? With an updo. Yeah, I kept thinking in WandaVision at the end, maybe it was going to be an illusion. They were going to like reveal something and she was secretly like this old granny, but she wasn't. So I think Catherine Hahn did such an amazing job of portraying Agatha Harkness that I'm okay with it. I do a little bit wish she was old like she is in the comics, but... You know, maybe she'll get there in the Doctor Strange movie. Maybe they will age Ooh, her somehow. I love it. I want to know if they're going to age whoever's going to play Madam Web. Because I'm like, in the comics, that is a granny hag. Mama. She is. She's the Madam Web again. Not really a hag. She's more like a sophisticated granny with a blindfold. As I sit here with the three of us at this table, because I think we recently got served a question and you answered that you might be the Madam Web oh, if you had yeah. an inspiration from a comic book world. And I'm picturing you as Madam Web, Drac as Agatha Harkness, <laughs> but you know, in your granny hero personified. And I'm just waiting to discover mine. You, well, I could be granny goodness too we talked about yeah i can see that (laughs) totally but this isn't about you anymore drac i was asking about myself (laughs) what granny would you be is that your question yeah that's my question who do you Uh, think are there any grannies that really speak to you angina from poltergeist (laughs) yes next question (laughs) an anonymous fan from the baltics writes i blaze huge fan here from the baltics in parentheses believe it or not you have fans even in eastern europe Anyways, as a trans person who uses two different names in different spaces, I often get mixed up and accidentally say the wrong one, and I was wondering if that has ever happened to you with your drag names and legal names. No. Yeah, definitely not, because it was such a sticking point. For many years, we were just known collectively as Boulay Brothers. Which I prefer. There was no need to separate us, but I think with the advent of the show and then people having to direct comments or questions to me or you, we really had to separate that and say, okay, this is who we are, and we never never deviated i find it's advantageous to have a person paired with you at all times because let's say you run into someone you don't want to talk to you just shut down you don't really have to engage you could just sort of stare blankly into the air while the other person steps forward yeah yeah or if there's something that you just don't want to do you can just mark the email as unread and just wait because the other person will definitely do it exactly That's why I liked it better when they would just say, it's the Belay Brothers, Uh instead of talking about us individually. Because I'm like, you go go out there and do that. (laughs) Secrets revealed. Jamie from the UK writes, I just wanted to tell you how much fun I had seeing you live and getting the opportunity to meet you. The highlight of the night was accidentally flirting hard with Ian, oh, hello, over his gorgeous accent. Parentheses, I can hear him saying this while I write it. I'm sure it won't be long till you haunt us again. Uh, that's a comment, not a question. That's a statement. <laughs> Let's move on. But one I decided to include because this reminded me that we're the ones with the accents when we go to the UK. Oh, yeah. From our very American-centric point of view, we go there and we're like, isn't this cute? We're surrounded by all these people with these weird, charming accents. But Sherry, it us. We're the weirdos. We're the weirdos, Wrong. Like Mr. World of Warcraft will teach you. <laughs> Main characters speak American English. Oh (laughs) my God. Sherry, your nerd is showing. (laughs) Finn from Wisconsin asks, Hello, spooky fam. In your recent episode, you talked about what not to do in a meet and greet, and it made me laugh because it's exactly what happened to me. I was so nervous to meet y'all, I totally almost walked off the stage, and Swan had to be like, no, stop. But you were so nice to me as I gave you an embroidery of Swanthula's book nook. I was so nervous, I forgot to give you the part that had my name on it in a card. Anyways, my name is Finn, and y'all are the best. Lots of love from Wisconsin. 
It's Hugh. Another. Where's the question, <laughs> sis? Where's the question? Ben, I want you to know, e- even though you, you didn't pose a question, I do still have your embroidered Swanthula's book nug right over at my desk. So thank you. And, you know, it's listener questions sometimes, but also there's listener mail. Somebody different did the listener questions <laughs> this time and decided to not pick the questions. But let's go on. Let's see. Caroline from Orlando asks, I'm at a point in my career now where I feel like I am stagnating. I look around and it seems like everyone around me is moving up or moving on. And despite my best efforts, I'm stuck where I am. Have you ever dealt with this feeling in your career? And if so, how did you avoid giving into despair or self-doubt? Unfortunately, our career is like a fucking roller coaster of drama. And it has been for 20 years. So I guess I'm the drama. I guess I'm the problem. But, you know, I have not experienced that before. But I do have friends that have experienced that before. And what I would say is, you might be in the wrong career for one thing. Like if that's how you feel, you're not loving what you're doing. And I'll tell you, life is much too short to spend your time, most of your time, which all jobs demand, doing something that you don't like to do or around people that you don't like to be around. So, and I know it's like, well, if you have the privilege to quit your job, guess what, Sherry? That's not what it is. You can work it out. Like you can figure out how to jump ship and do something else. And a lot of times the universe will take care of you when you're on the right path. So even if you're like, that's scary, I can't do that. I would encourage you to challenge that belief and to just jump off the bridge. I mean, because what's the worst thing that would happen, right? (laughs) You just splat. That's all. I'm going to double down on what Drac's saying, but also add this. If you do believe that you're in the correct career, but you are just hitting a roadblock, oftentimes like trying to grind that out will continuously give you the same result, which is a block. Oftentimes all you need is inspiration. So if you do something new, you find some other thing to get excited about that can often fuel your creative projects or your work challenges to the next level. Yeah. I want to reiterate that because I hear people that get trapped in these sort of nine to five scenarios or under some sort of bill that they can never catch up for. And they're like, well, I can't follow my dreams because I owe this much on my car. And I'm like, just let it go. Like, let it go. Choose chaos, mama. Seriously. Life is just too short. You get one chance. Enjoy yourself while you're here. That's what I say. Austin from Tennessee writes, With the collaborations with the legend Orville Peck and Trax Rural Upbringing, I was wondering if either of you were a fan of country music at all. Yes. (laughs) And I'll have to say yes by proxy because I did not grow up in a rural area and I had no history with country music. However, when I met Drac many moons ago, we took a faded trip cross country where I was forced to listen to nothing but Patsy Cline and all of her (laughs) contemporaries. And I learned it all, Mama. And it was fun. I love bluegrass. I love country music. It all has to be old, though. I do not like modern country music at all. It's so phony and ridiculous and put on. But (laughs) no, seriously, it is. It's like a whole thing now. It's like you see these guys who are like country music stars. Mm -hmm. They sort of like exaggerate and put on and it's so gross. I think what you're trying to say is modern country music is nothing but farm emo. Oh, (laughs) my God. Well, I think obviously the further you go back in country music, you get close to blues, you get close to rock and roll and sort of the origins of Americana Mm -hmm. sound. And I think it's great. And I encourage everyone to go back and listen to it. I had my own road trip experience with music. My boyfriend surprised me on a really long road trip we took by revealing that he is a Celine Dion 
Dan. I was like, Mama, what? So anyway, I now love Celine Dion. I have what I think is a pretty great Celine Dion impression, too. So anyway. Oh, you can't set that uh, up without giving us a little just, slice. Just to understand. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. What does that have to do with country music? It was about the road trip. She ain't country music. Oh, I mean, I don't know. It's, Celine's going to do she's some, from like, Canada. She's some Canadian French country. <laughs> okay, I want to hear this impersonation. So my impersonation is only one sung word. That's all you need. Love. <laughs> That's all you got? Oh, and I do it all the time, too. We'll be silent in bed. Love. <laughs> That's why I love you. (laughs) That's all the time we have for questions this episode. Thank you all for writing in. And remember, if you have a question for us that you would like answered here on the podcast, please email us at creatures at bouletbrothersdragula.com and let us know where you're writing in from. We would love to hear from you. Thank you all for joining us on this episode of the Boulet Brothers Creatures of the Night. The Boulet Brothers Creatures of the Night is a Dread Central production. Hosted by the Boulet Brothers with their co-host and producer, Ian DeVogler. Engineered and mixed by Carlos Bueno with music by Neuron Spectre. 